Hi friends, welcome to The Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. I'll never get used to the Zoom voice <laughs> telling <laughs> us to record. Recording in progress. Um, hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. We're in episode, I think, 25, yeah. and that's exciting. We're going to do something a little bit different for the next couple weeks um, because we've been talking about everyone's stories, and we talk about tools as we talk about the story, but we're kind of realizing that people who are listening might just want tools and want them unpacked and explained. So we're going to do a little bit of a series on tools to help. and. I have a toolbox theory, which I can explain in a second, <laughs> but the general idea is that, um, you know, we, we are like a one size fits all, where is my magic pill culture? And that is not helpful when it comes to trauma. We're also a culture where like, <clears throat> we don't, we, yes, we want the quick fix yep. and then we think it's over. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it, um, mm -hmm you know, what, what might help you in one moment it does not erase what happened. Totally. And it could come up in a different way later, which is not, that does not mean that you haven't healed or that you've done it wrong or that something is a problem, just that you need a different tool. Right. So I always think about, we've talked about this before, but I always think about a toolbox. Like if you're going to buy a home, you need, you don't just need like a wrench and a hammer anymore. Like you had when you're in your apartment, when you're 20, you're leveled up. So you need a toolbox. And you could have all the fanciest tools in Home Depot. You could go and spend like $15,000 and buy the whole like, you know, thing that like big giant console or whatever with all the drawers. <laughs> but if you don't know how to use those tools and you don't know what they're for, you can't do anything. Right. And so if you have traumatic experience, rather than frame it up as here's the thing that I will do that will fix it and then it will be done. It's how, what tools work for me and in what situations and, um, how do I know when I'm in that situation as an individual, like this is an individual thing. Um, and how, when, when can I grab those tools and can I become like an expert at using them so that when the kitchen sink leaks, I know exactly, not just that I need a wrench, but which wrench and how to use it quickly so that. I can minimize the water all over the floor. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I like this. <laughs> what, what are you thinking? I think of like the toolbox. Of the, I don't know. Cause I like, <laughs> I think of the, you could, you could also think of it as like having people to do this. <laughs> like the, like the Schneider. <laughs> the Schneider. Remember one day at a time. Do you remember no. that show? No. Oh my God. 
Schneider was like the handyman who lived in the apartment or the super. The super. super. That is it. Yeah. You have your list of people when you right. have to call, you know, your plumber, you have, you have the number on the fridge, you have the plumber, you have the, yep. you have yep. your, people. You your fingertips. Yep. Which is actually good because the tools shouldn't just be, I mean, relational tools are a thing as well, right. Which we can talk about, but they shouldn't all just be things you can use on your own. Okay. Before we get into tools, we're going to talk about two very simple tools later, but um, we should talk about overwhelm first in the brain and in the body and what that looks like and what that means. So I'll explain the science and then we can talk about how that looks for both of us. Cause I think we actually have kind of interestingly different ways of feeling this, which is cool because that's because people are different and overwhelm mm-hmm. is not just going to look like one thing. It depends on the individual and the context that they're in and their upbringing and all that stuff. Okay. So we've explained this before, but if your brain was a video game, its goal would be homeostasis, meaning equal blood flow and equal electrical activity across the whole cortex. That means all systems are online. All systems are running. Nothing is taking up an excessive amount of energy. It's all good. It means you can access long-term memories, short-term memories. You can do a task at hand that requires your working memory. You can think about language. You can have thoughts happening all at the same time. Like everything is cool. And because your brain is not separated from your body, but connected to it via the central nervous system, you, um, your, whatever's going on in your brain is causing a cascade of reactions in your body. And so if you have homeostasis in your brain, you're going to have a relative feeling of peace in your body. So like right now I feel like a little amped because I'm talking about things, but that I care about, (laughs) but also I feel like pretty at ease. And I can feel that in my body. So I'm noticing that like my shoulders are not hiked up. I'm like sitting in my chair comfortably. My legs are crossed. It's like, I'm, I'm at ease. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's helpful to know, not just what overwhelm feels like in your body, but also what homeostasis, what your baseline is. Um, when something happens that sets off the, the fire alarm in your brain, which can happen because of fear. Um, it can happen because of anxiety that comes from like inside the house, from your own thoughts. It can happen because of rage. It can happen because of sadness, right? Anytime you get, you tip to like that point of overwhelm, you do what neuroscientists call flip your lid, which means you lose access to the front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, which is the rational thinking part of your brain. And because all of the energy and blood flow is going to the alarm and, and responding to the alarm. And so um, what that means is that in the body, you're going to get elevated stress hormones because the alarm system, part of what it does is send a signal to the brainstem to release stress hormones. So you will feel more amped. Your blood pressure will likely go up. Your heart rate will go up, all of those kinds of things. It can also do the opposite, right? So you can get to the point of overwhelm that goes to freeze. Mm-hmm. And instead, all of instead of all of those things going up, they will go down. So if you think about like an animal that's playing dead, the reason that that happens, you know, in terms of evolution is because it's, that is how you will stay alive. If you're an animal and you play dead, you're more more likely to get passed over by the predator than if you are activated. Does that make sense? Yes. Why why are you laughing? I can't. I'll tell you later. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) really quickly, there's four parts of the brain that we're talking about. The, The prefrontal cortex, which sits behind your eyes. That's the executive function brain. That's rational thought. I can't look at Lisa because she's laughing. 
That's okay. Um, the amygdala, so that's prefrontal cortex, that develops last. So toddlers don't have a lot of connectivity here, which doesn't mean the structure isn't there. It just means the neural connections haven't been made. The amygdala is the alarm system. So that's the thing that trips off when you get overwhelmed. Um, and then the brainstem, like I said, is the thing that sends the stress hormones through your body. It does a lot of other stuff too, but that's what we're talking about here. Um, and then your hippocampus is what stores your long-term memories. So when you have a regular event going on and you have relative homeostasis in your brain, your brain goes through a memory consolidation process after every single event that happens, right? So you go to the grocery store or the doctor's office or whatever you do in your regular day, your filing cabinet in your brain needs energy because it's putting away those memories in order so that you can pull them out later when you need to remember them. Um, when you have overwhelm, your brain does this really cool thing that we've talked about, and it adapts and changes all of the energy and blood flow in your brain. And then also the function in your body so that you can better prepare to deal with the threat, whatever it is. And so all of the blood flow, not all, lots of the blood flow and lots of the electrical activity go to the alarm system and the things that you need in order to respond to something terrible. So you need your senses, you need strength, you need blood pressure, you need all these things flowing. You don't need to be doing filing. You don't need to be doing lots of rational thinking, all of that stuff. So the brain sort of recalibrates all of its function, which then changes your experience in your body. So for me, the biggest indication of overwhelm is um, my heart rate, which will just sp like spike. So I'll be sitting here in my chair talking to you, no big deal. Heart rate is 60, something normal. And it will go to like 125 as if I'm running up a mountain, but I'm sitting here. And that to me is, has become like a pretty good barometer for when I'm around somebody I shouldn't be around. Because if my blood pressure is spiking, I'm noticing some kind of overwhelm. It doesn't matter that I know what it is or where it's coming from or how to talk about it. It matters that I listen to my body experience because nothing productive happens in overwhelm. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yep. So I, I know, mm -hmm. um, because I know you that, you know, when you got the first, um, Fitbit, I think yeah. you were talking about your heart rate and mm -hmm. you know how you were noticing, um, in certain situations that it was mm -hmm. spiking before you had that measure, were you able to identify it or was nope. this? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. That's a great question. Cause I think that's, that's why I had a problem with panic because okay. I could never over, I could never recognize it when, and by the way, like I've been in therapy for like 600 years. So like, this is not a thing that therapists teach you how to do. I had wonderful therapists. Like right. I'm not, I'm not knocking them as humans, but they don't tell you how to recognize this stuff. So I was diagnosed with panic disorder because I have panic attacks and have since I was a little kid and couldn't control them. And so I wouldn't notice my heart rate at all. I didn't even like, I couldn't even, I didn't know that you could notice that. I would just be hyperventilating all of a sudden. But do you remember what you felt physically before you got to that point? There was no connection to physical at all. This is why, this is super important to talk about. This is why people go to the emergency room when they're having a panic attack, because it feels so out of nowhere that you yeah. are absolutely 100% convinced you're having a heart attack. It's like being hit by a train when you don't have, it's like the thing, it's like trying to like know what's going on in the radio without turning the radio on and tuning to the channel. I had no mm -hmm. connectivity to the, to the body at all. So like, I could not, I didn't notice 
anything until it was full blown. Okay. Hyperventilating on the floor, like absolute total overwhelm. There was no, it was just zero to 60. Okay. Which is happening in your brain when you have no concept of what's going on. The same thing. So it's just what's happening when you're recognizing how to notice it is that you're, you're tuning into what was already happening. Okay. Um, so you, you're able to kind of notice that you think about it. Like if you're listening for a train to come and you're not listening and you're talking to somebody or on the train platform, you might not notice until the train is like quite close that the train is coming. But if you kind of pause and listen, then you're like, Oh, I can hear it way down the, you know, tunnel. And I can start getting my stuff ready to, to get on the train when the train gets here and the doors open. It was kind of like that. The train was coming either way. The panic was coming. It's just, I wasn't tuned in and didn't notice it until it was like right in front of me. And then I was like, oh shit, I have to get my bag. And I've left my book here on this bench and you know, like that kind of thing. I don't know if that metaphor works. I just made it up. (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. That's so fascinating. You know, like not to uh, give too much information about you, but you did this as a kid too. Yeah, totally. Like I remember this. (laughs) From what? This is fascinating. We've never talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to edit this part out. Um, remember when we would go to the, uh, you know, um, relatives' homes and you would barf before we went? No, I mean, I have, it's been a problem my whole life. I don't know why anybody, nobody did anything, but it, it was, it was clearly an issue like school age. It was clearly an issue and it was uh, out of control. Yeah. At lots of different parts of my life. And I didn't know until like very recently that you could intervene on any of these things. That's insane. That's crazy. I know. But yeah, I mean, vomiting is like a definite, lots of people have that experience because you're, it's, it's one of the, so the vagus nerve, which we'll talk about later kind of is, is enervated, meaning it has two spots it's, it comes from your brainstem and it wanders through your whole body. Vegas is the Latin word for wandering. And it like touches all of your essential organs and it has nerve endings in two places, like the most nerve endings in two places. And one of them is in front of your stomach. And so the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, the activation and calming systems are supposed to toggle on and off. But if you don't know how to do the toggling, you can manually do it. And it doesn't happen naturally. You just go into kick into high gear. So one of the things that can happen when it kicks into high gear is um, related to your stomach, obviously. Yeah. So feeling nauseous or feeling constriction in your stomach is something people talk about a lot with panic. It's not just your chest. Yeah. That can happen too. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely a thing. That's not just me. (laughs) No. No, I, I'm just like, I'm thinking that, you know, you and I like had the same upbringing and it's funny how it manifests differently. Yeah. You well, know? we did and we didn't though. Right. Cause it's like, we, you know, parents change drastically over time and you were the first and I was the fifth. Right. So I think like who they were, what their lives looked like, how they handled things, who else was around, what the context was, was totally different in a hundred ways. Yeah. And also people have different default responses. Right. So I learned very early that panic, I I say this, like, as if I learned it, like I was taking notes, I think this is more of like a body imprint that panic and the dissociative response kind of spinning back here 
and not, not being fully in my like experience in my body was a way to get through overwhelm. Mm -hmm. I, what do you feel like yours is? You know, I feel like mom, like would always talk about your gut. Uh Like that, that was always her phrase, you Mm -hmm. know, follow your gut, what's in your gut. How does your gut feel? Totally. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking that like, it's, it's interesting. So mine would always manifest in my stomach in my, yeah, not really my, more my digestion, because that was kind of like Mm -hmm. what I was told where you feel things totally, you know, and I'm thinking that, that the older kids in the family Mm -hmm. have more, have had more gut issues Mm -hmm. than the young. I I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating. Like the the feeling panic in my chest or, you know, it's fairly recent for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last 10 years, I would say Mm -hmm. before that it was always a, um, a bathroom issue for, you know, not to be graphic, but it was like, that's that's what happened. Super common, right. One of your, the things that happens when, your um, body hits overwhelm is that your digestive system. So 47 different parts of your brain respond to overwhelm by either toggling up or toggling down. And so your stomach, your digestive system and your reproductive system are, are prime there because you don't need to be doing digestive work when you're responding to threat. Think about what your body thinks is happening is you're being chased by a mountain lion. Right. So it does not understand that like, this is mom yelling versus there's a mountain lion threat is threat is threat. And so it responds in the exact same way, which seems can seem like out of control in the moment. And we then shame ourselves. Right. I am yeah, like yeah. currently feeling shame for not even remembering that <laughs> I used to barf when, which now makes sense. Cause mom used to always yell at me when I barf, which like who, who does that? But um, I have a huge phobia with that too, which is interesting, but like you, we turn it into shame because we don't understand that this is just the, our body thinks we are in danger and it's responding. Yeah. So all sorts of like stomach issues are because your, your, your digestive system basically like goes offline. So whatever it was doing, it stops getting energy for that. And that can mean you get sick. That can mean you get constipated. That could mean you just feel pain. Like it just depends on what the response is, you know? That's, yeah. I, I'm just remembering like chronic stomach aches as a kid. Yeah. 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 Our house was not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There's that, a lot going on. Yeah. That seems like a thing that was happening. I think we were internalizing a lot of what was going on. Totally. Because there's nothing else you can do when you don't have the like language capability to put words to it. And then you're not in an environment where you could, even if you did have that, what, I mean, what else could you possibly do, but swallow it, you know? Right. Fascinating. I know it's crazy. But so now um, and this was a long road, but I can sort of notice panic, like when it starts and then I can intervene. So I have, I have, I had one panic attack in 2019. I haven't had one since. Right. So like this went from multiple a day to now I can intervene, which does not mean I don't feel panic. Like I do. It's, it's a, it's a long-term relationship. <laughs> right. I'm in conversation with it all the time, but in a way that allows me to like 
check in and regulate rather than to have it get out of control. Right. Because I'll notice my heart rate going up and I'll say, okay, what, what tool do I need in this moment? What will help my heart rate go down? Where's this coming from? Not in a spiral way, but in a like, okay, the sink is leaking. Which tool do I need Mm -hmm. before the, you know, floor is flooded and collapsed through the basement and all that stuff, you know? Do you feel like you have a handle on when you can like notice it? I feel like I can have a handle on when I notice it, if there are certain things in place at mm-hmm. the time, Yeah, meaning that I've had enough sleep mm-hmm. that I'm not um, yeah. in a bad place emotionally. If I've you know, limited alcohol, like it, it, I have certain baseline things that I need to yeah. um, maintain Totally. In order to recognize it. Yeah. If any of those things are off, any of those like levers are off, yeah. then, I, then I'm not able to. Then I'm then I I'm not granting myself the space to notice it. I'm just immediately acting Pan- out of it. Right, right. And then so yours doesn't look like panic then. It 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 does now a little bit more than it ever has, mm-hmm. you know, which like I said is 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 new for me. I, I've spent most of my life, um, (laughs) managing my stomach, you know, now that I think about it and, um, you know, now that I feel that I have certain controls in place, which are probably false, but I, I feel like I I, I'm just realizing it's occurring to me how much of a theme this has been my whole life Yeah, that, um, if I, if I feel like my stomach is okay, then it's now it's coming out in like a chest tightening situation, Mm -hmm. which I never had before. So. It moves. Yeah. If you don't address it, it moves. And this is, it, yeah. it ha- that happens through like culturally in time and also as an individual. So if you don't address it, it will, it will <laughs> it find another way out. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I'll never forget being at work um, kind of soon after mom died and um, ex- you know, just describing a symptom, you know, at work and there would be a couple people near me and saying, Oh my God, like my, my, like my chest hurt, like my heart, like something like heart, like like feels so tight. And this coworker saying, Oh, well, that's, that's stress. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) no, it's not like, what are you talking about? Like that being such a foreign concept to me Mm -hmm. that, that it could manifest that way. Yeah. That's yeah. That this is like super eye opening. Mm -hmm. It's interesting what you can actually track this with different wars. And I'm trying to remember, I think the first world war, the primary PTSD symptom was a a halting gait. Like you would walk in this very like rigid kind of, I'm trying to describe this because I'm making a. (laughs) Like a marching? Yes. But like, almost like your knees don't bend and like, it looks kind of painful. And like, there's videos of this we could like post. Um, I spent a whole summer researching that. It's just super fascinating. So there's all these like war archives and you can look at these soldiers who, who were, who couldn't present themselves in society at a time in which presenting yourself was very important. That symptom is going to get recognized quick. Yeah. That's super interesting in the, in, so that was, I think world, I have to go back and check this. I could be getting all this wrong. I think that's world war one, world war two. It, a lot of it was gastrointestinal. Oh, and then it just, it just shifts through time based on what's going on in the culture, what's going to be noticed. Like th- this is the thing that's so fascinating and mysterious about trauma to me 
it will find a way to be noticed. And if you're not noticing it, it will take over something else. Yeah. Which I know that sounds ominous, but I think it's like, we have to look at it as like, it's just trying to get out. Yeah. And we have to look at it like, you're not going to like, it's not a problem to be solved. Right. It's something to be recognized. To be integrated. It's, to be integrated. Yeah. You, you, right. Right. Because yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a demon in your body, you know, but it's not. No. It's not. No. Just part of you. It's it, right. And it's just something you need to learn. Right. Um, okay. So overwhelm, does that make sense from a brain body level? So you get overwhelmed in the brain, the brain sends messages to the body. We have a threat. And then the body responds as if you're being chased by mountain lion. Mm -hmm. And that can feel like a bunch of different things. It can feel like shutdown. It can feel like activation. It can feel like rage, right? If you're having any of these things, totally normal. Your body's trying to keep you alive. That's what it's supposed to do. We don't want to get rid of that. And this is why I always say that the trauma response is born of strength. When you dissociate, it's because your body is trying to be like, Hey, we don't want to imprint all this. Let's just take a step back. Let's check out. Let's not notice. Let's not remember when you go into rage, it's trying to fight, you know, the whole thing. We know all this. Okay. Let's talk about what to do about it. So there's two different ways we can intervene on the system of overwhelm. One is top down regulation, which is where you use the brain to regulate what's happening in the body. And the other one is bottom up regulation. So I'll explain what these are and then explain two little tools that we can use and then we can try them and, and report back. So top-down regulation is when you use the brain and you kind of manually reset where the blood flow and electrical activity is going away from the alarm system and back into the other parts of the brain that aren't connected. Um, And so one of the things that they talk about with this, and they've done tons of research on this, actually, even putting people in fMRI machines to look at their brains while they're doing this and after is playing Tetris on your phone. Playing Tetris occupies your working memory, which is in your prefrontal cortex. Working memory is just like, if I'm telling you what to do and you don't know what's coming next, or if you're reading a recipe, or if you're playing a game that requires that you pay attention, you're using your working memory. And so if you are noticing, okay, hey, I'm sitting on my couch and my heart rate is spiking or my stomach is upset and there's no current threat, like I'm not actually being chased by mountain lion, I'm not having a big fight. That's going to end a relationship. Like I'm just feeling panic. If you pick up your phone and play Tetris for 20 to 60 minutes, the studies have been kind of varied on the time. Um, you will force blood flow back into homeostasis and electrical activity back into homeostasis in your brain. And over that span of time, your brainstem starts to kind of pick up on the fact that the alarm that was going off is a false alarm because you wouldn't be using your working memory. If you were actually running away from a mountain lion, you'd be tapping into all the stress hormones that it's sending through your body. And so it gets a message. It's a false alarm and it's, and it kind of stops sending stress hormones through your body. Okay. So over time, this won't be immediate, but you will start to calm down. So you're regulating from the top, from the top of your head to the rest of your body. Okay. So that's one. Does that make sense? Yep. Totally. Okay. And then bottom up regulation is the same idea, just from the different, from the opposite direction. So instead of using your brain, some people get, um, very like activated by visuals and they can't really concentrate on them, which is going to just feed into the panic loop. None of these tools that we're going to talk about are like going to work for everyone in all situations. They are just different tools that work in different ways. Add them to your toolbox. 
So that's Tetris. Um, Bottom-up regulation is when you use the body to regulate what's going on in the brain. So the quickest way to do this is by, or one of the quickest ways is um, diaphragmatic breathing, sometimes called belly breathing, but it's a little bit different. So I'm going to describe it. Um, But before I describe it, this is what it's doing. So the vagus nerve that we talked about a few minutes ago is the largest nerve in your body. It goes from your brainstem through the structures in your throat and neck, and then sits in front of your belly and touches all of your organs. And it regulates the parasympathetic response, which is the calming response in your body. So when you're feeling super activated, you've got a sympathetic nervous response and you want to toggle on the parasympathetic response, which you can think of as just like pulling a parachute when you're panicking, you want things to slow down. And the, the, the way to sort of like hack into that is by pushing on it, like physically. So when you breathe into your diaphragm, you um, push against the vagus nerve, which is likely doesn't always happen, but it's likely to trip on the parasympathetic response. It's pushing the parachute button. And that will calm your brain because again, you wouldn't be taking these deep, slow breaths if you were running away from a mountain lion. So let's talk about what that means. Cause that's, it's not just belly breathing. So most of the time when we breathe, we breathe into the top of our lungs and we take short, shallow breaths. That's especially true when we're feeling panicked, it starts like a rhythm And this is why some people, myself included, will hyperventilate because you start taking these quick breaths like this into the top of your chest, your shoulders go up, and then it just feeds into this thing. That's what you want to be doing if you're running, because that's going to also increase your cardiovascular response and all these other things. So your diaphragm sits underneath your lungs. It's like a big muscle. That's like kind of a frowny face in front of your lungs. So if you take a big, deep breath into your belly, but like this, think of the center of your belly. And like, if you, you can feel it, if you kind of contract the muscles there, mm-hmm. like you're trying to like make a six pack thing, <laughs> if you yeah. breathe into there, so we can do that now. And like, kind of, you can feel your ribs and your abs, like coming out, expanding, and then hold the breath at the top as much as you can, and then push it out. Like you're pushing those things together. Like someone's standing behind you, pulling a corset, like tight, contract all those muscles and then do it again. You take a deep breath in. I want us to do this just so take really quickly, take notice of what's happening in your body. Just like noticing where's their pain, where's their constriction, where's their energy. What does it feel like? No judgment, just like what it is. Okay. Now take one big deep breath into your diaphragm and hold it and let it out. And then another one and hold it and let it out. And then we'll do three and let it out. It's hard to talk. (laughs) (laughs) And then take note of what just happened in your body. Right. So what did you notice? Well, I mean, I I think that we've both done this a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. um, this kind of breathing, I think it's a big part of Pilates and, you know, we've both kind of done that. They talk about the, you know, they have cues that kind of mimic what you just said. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I'm, I'm familiar with the, the sensations, but what happens elsewhere in my body is my head feels a little bit like lighter, not in like a loopy way, but in a like unburdened way. Yeah. 
That's good. What about in your body? It feels relaxed. Like it feels like my shoulders drop and, you know, some tension is relieved. Settle in, feel less like constricted. Yeah. Totally. Drop in, like present, like a little more present. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's, um, I mean, we should all be doing that like four times a day just because it's so good for you. Yeah. Um, but just like, keep in mind, if you're someone who struggles with panic or who's someone who's struggling with intrusive thoughts or traumatic memories or ruminations or anything like that, you are three breaths away from feeling markedly different in your body. I love that. Like just, it's not going to solve everything. It's not going to take away the problem, but if you're feeling really like fried and panicked and activated and amped and all these things, you will start to feel a little calmer. And then if you can do three more, you'll feel a little calmer after that and three more, and you'll feel a little calmer after that because you are manually turning on the parasympathetic nervous system. You're clicking on the parachute and then, so those are the two tools, Tetris and breathing. If you don't like Tetris, this is always a question. People are like, well, I don't like Tetris. I like these other games. The reason they studied Tetris is because it uniquely has like, um, I don't know what to call this. It, it's, it makes a bid for your attention continuously, right? So if you're doing just a puzzle on the desk or just a puzzle game that doesn't get faster as you go on, it's not continuing to ask more of your working memory. Tetris works because it gets faster and harder every minute. And so it makes a continuous bit on your prefrontal cortex. So to respond to that, you have to continuously push more energy and more blood flow into your prefrontal cortex, which makes it more likely that your alarm system will quiet. Interesting. You know, I've never played Tetris. Are you kidding me? No. (laughs) Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) When I play Tetris on a plane, people like stop and watch me. Really? Yes. I, I beat the game in like two shots. No problem. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so download funny. Tetris. Never We're learning not, lots of new things about each other today. Um, I know. I know. Yeah. No, it's, that's so funny. I don't know what I would do without Tetris. I played all the time. I can't believe you never played it. That shocked. <laughs> no, I play solitaire. Oh, that's funny. That's Tetris. Again, like I think a lot of these things would um, would probably have a similar effect, but the reason that the neuroscientists studied Tetris, like they did that for a reason, you know, yeah. it's because it's continuously harder. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So those are the tools. And again, just going back to this. So I will note, just explain more about how they work. When I'm at a certain level of overwhelm, a breathing exercise will just make me hyperventilate faster and I'll just pass out faster. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So I'm, I like to do breathing when I'm not feeling super, super intensely anxious. When I'm feeling really anxious, Tetris works really well. Any distraction actually works really well for me. So I will call you sometimes we'll talk about real housewives or whatever, and that will calm me down because it's distracting a same kind of thing in the brain. It's just a different method. Okay. Um, so I know for myself that I, I should do breathing exercises regularly when I'm not super activated, but that's not the tool that I grab when the kitchen sink is leaking. I will be much more likely and I'm much more comfortable with Tetris. 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So different tools will work differently at different moments. And I could get to the point in my life where breathing is the first thing I reached for, right? I'm not a static fixed thing. So it depends. Right. But try these tools and report back to us because I want to hear what's different, what you notice. And we'll do it too. I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun to like have more, you know, it's like learning how to like, I don't know. It's learning how to modulate different things in your body, which can just level you up. Do you find that thing that I was talking about though? Like if you have, um, if you haven't slept or there are certain things that are out of whack that yeah. your response can be stronger. Yes. A hundred percent. Okay. Hormonal differences change things. Um, which again is why it's so beneficial to have a toolbox. And not just a single tool, because if it's like, okay, like if I haven't slept, I know I'm going to feel a lot more, um, fried. It's going to be harder to calm down if I do get anxious. So then I'm going to, but knowing that I can build a bunch of things into my day. I can make sure that I'm eating at regular intervals and well, I can make sure that even if I don't feel good, I get outside for 30 minutes and walk. I can make sure that I am putting things in my day that I know will make me feel a little bit of joy because that will get me through, right? All of that stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing intentionally because I know more. When I didn't know anything, when I didn't know how to turn on the channel and listen to what was happening to my body, of course I couldn't regulate it because I didn't even know what was happening or notice. Right. It's like a losing battle, trying to fight a losing battle. Right. So, but now that I have a toolbox, I'm like, okay, so I didn't sleep and it's a different spot in the month hormonally. And so I'm much more likely to feel X, Y, and Z. And here are the tools that I can use to, to not fix that, but to regulate that, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that totally matters. It also matters like after the fact sometimes where it's like, oh man, why did that hit me so hard? You know? And instead of doing the shame spiral, I start like noticing, well, you didn't sleep for five days and you stopped exercising. And so you felt like crap. And then this one thing happened and it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And it didn't seem like a big deal in the moment or in the context, but given what else was going on, it was. I think when you're more in tune with all of that stuff too, you're better able to cut out the things that can be destructive, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, I, um, it's easier for me to recognize like, wow, this isn't like this is making me feel pretty lousy right now. So I'm going to like put this on hold for a little while. I'm going to, you know, not check social media. I'm going to, you know, not watch the news. I'm going to. Oh, totally. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff. Yep. But then like you're each time you're doing that, you're also like imprinting to your body, like, Hey, I'm going to take care of you. Right. I'm not going to drag you through this kicking and screaming and maximum amount of pain. I'm going to take care of you. I hear you. I get it. That's the thing. If there's one like underlying thing that is true about any of these symptoms and the way that they pop up is what they are, when they are being listened to, they tend to calm down. Yeah. When we strangulate them, they get louder as they should. Right. Yeah. Cause they need to be addressed. They need to be noticed. Right. Totally. Fascinating. No, it's cool stuff. Okay. Do you have a tiny little joy? I do. I, um, I've been obsessed with this idea of like, I think it started with our talk last week about home and like leaving home and, you know, the, how families change and the dynamics change. And this leaving home thing has been going on for me for a long time, but, um, 
<laughs> probably something that I need to like, you know, d- dig into a little bit more. Home is such um, a complicated concept. Jesus Christ. I know. Isn't it? Yeah. It's like loaded. huge. Yeah. It's loaded. And, um, you know, we lived in Virginia for, for seven years and the house that we lived in there is now on the market again, you know, two years later. So there's something like about that, that like does something to me anyway. So home has been on my mind a lot. So this morning I had an appointment, um, in Boston in the city Mm -hmm. and I was driving along the Charles river and I was realizing like how that feels like home for me. There are a million memories, you know, along that river. And, um, there's something about it that's very grounding and very comforting and I don't see it visually, you know, in person as often as I used to. And, um, it just felt like, wow, okay, this, I might not be able to define home, you know, all the time, but this feels like a calm, peaceful grounding place for me. And it always has, it represents a lot for me. So to be reminded of that today was important. I love that. Thank you. And I love that it can be like that, that seems to capture like the, 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 what's so complicated and confusing about the concept of home, which is that it's not always a a single thing. Exactly. It's like a feeling or a, or a place, but in a much wider sense of things. Right. With a bunch of different meanings and and memories and experiences. And yeah, I mean, there are a million memories related to that river. Yeah. Yeah. In that place. So I, I, I just noticed how it made me feel today. And I thought, okay, this, there's a reason you're paying attention to this right now. I love that. What memories come up or are they less specific and more, more just like <laughs> the, um, that bench that mom and dad used to sit on, mm-hmm. you know, I drove by that by Harvard yeah. and that <laughs> Jake, I'm sorry, but there was this yeah. time that you and I were in the car on Memorial drive. Oh my God. And we had had terrible fucking day, by the way, it was a brutal day. And we were talking to Jake on the phone and he screwed up and, um, he did like a spoonerism where you, you right where you kind of get a phrase backwards. Yes. Is that a spoonerism? I don't know, but I know what you mean. Yeah. And he was on speakerphone and he said it and, you know, we were all cranked up and angry and upset for a lot of of good and different reasons. And you and I just looked at each other and like burst out laughing. And I can tell you exactly where along the river it happened. Um, and how that was such like a, um, so needed in that, in that moment to laugh like that and to like break that, that, uh, tension and that awful feeling that that day kind of brought us to. What is the phrase? The phrase is, he said you, Fly over the handlebars. <laughs> fly over the handlebars. Fly instead of fly off the handle. Fly. <laughs> fly over the handlebars. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. You're very, very smart. And it was just like one of those things that happened. Oh, everyone does that. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was like one of those like hysterical laugh and cry at the same time. I was driving. I, was... I remember being like, do I have to pull over? <laughs> oh my God. And, you know, just like driving to work and seeing yeah. like the crew teams on the river, like there's just, it felt like home. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my God. 
I can picture it so vividly. I mean, the, just the river and like driving by and different seasons and different like lighting, you know what I mean? Like at night and in the morning and in the middle of the day and when the light is different and when it's fall and when it's winter, it's like a totally different thing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's the idea of like, you don't lose home. It just changes. Yeah. And there are permanent things in all of the impermanence, you know, that river, like those things stay. Right. I love that. Right. Right. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Mine is tiny, but it does. It's okay. This is complicated. It's not complicated. It's just, um, it's tiny, but it's not tiny but I guess that's all of these are tiny, but they're not tiny. So I've been part of this thing called the Tat Lab since the beginning of uh, the pandemic with John Kim, the angry therapist. And um, we, there are, you know, it was a weird year, 2020. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the pandemic and all this stuff. And like, it started out at, it's just a, it's a community of people of healing. It's live classes. And I do a trauma healing class three times a week. And we also do a movie night. And so there've been these people who've been on basically since the beginning, since day one, who've become like this little group of friends who have never met in person and who we bonded over, like both a shared interest in trauma and and healing, but also like the experience of this wild year. And it's just, I am like so grateful for that level of friendship. And that's so different than other kinds of friendship, you know? And yeah. we, at some point, one so, someone said we should call ourselves the trauma llamas because llama rhymes with trauma and it adds a little bit of joy. And that's always what I'm doing. And so we're the trauma llamas. And I get such a kick out of like this group of people who I didn't know a year ago, who now I like deeply care about. And it's just awesome. I love that. Yeah. So the trauma it's like llamas. creating a new community. Yeah. And just like very simple, like we just all like want each other to be well, you know, <laughs> like, that's huge. It is, it is huge. huge. Yeah, it, it is huge. So yeah, I love that. And we do this movie night where we sit on this app called Cosme and it's just a chat box and we stream a movie that we're all watching together. So you're like in your house. It's kind of like the introvert's dream because you're not like out and about, you know, you're in your house, but there's people there and you're not alone. And that's just, it's just such a cool, those moments I've been reflecting a lot, not because it's ending, but just because I guess the world's getting back to normal a little bit that, um, that was really stabilizing this last year. That's, that's fabulous. Joyful. Yeah. What movies did you watch? Oh, we did a one a week for the last year. So everything. Really? All kinds of different? (laughs) Yeah. We did some, I mean, we did trauma themed stuff. We watched the Shia LaBeouf movie. Have you seen that? No, he wrote, um, he's an actor who has really struggled with PTSD and he went to an institution and part of his narrative therapy was to write a story and he turned it into a movie about his life. Okay. And it is brutal, but beautiful. Okay. Um, and kind of highlights the, the, you know, the idea of narrative therapy and the Daryl Hannah story, which was on Netflix cracked up, which is beautiful. It's also about trauma. Um, so we watched stuff like that, but we also watched like dumb Christmas movies when it was like. Christmas time and everyone was lonely and like we laughed about that. Hallmark movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Very like low, um, low stakes, but high reward. reward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. That's fun. It's crazy that, that the pandemic like brought us to this place. It's a beautiful thing, you know, in, in a mm-hmm. really terrible situation. Totally. Okay. So find us on Instagram at the trauma tapes. And we have a website, the traumatapes.com. And, um, 
write us if you want us to talk about your story at the trauma tapes at gmail.com. I think I said that twice. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.